This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Heal. The latest GDP figures for the end of 2022 came out today. Kate, what was the news? So the UK has narrowly avoided the technical definition of recession by showing that in Q4 last year, between October and December, we had virtually no growth. Very hard to claim that is good news, but a lot of people will because they were expecting a contraction and to meet the technical definition of recession, that's two quarters of negative contraction in a row. So, you know, government will probably be quite delighted that they're able to bring in other talking points, which James can address rather than having to address this, you know, word recession. But as I point out on Coffee House today, there's some really bad news in these figures as well. So we also got the breakdown for the month of December on its own, in which the economy contracted by 0.5%. And if you put that in context of December 2021, the year before, We actually did worse this past December than we did in 2021 by about 0.1%. That is, of course, when the Omicron wave was coming. People were still required to self-isolate if they had COVID. People were voluntarily going inside and isolating. To think that we had a December that was worse than the one before comparatively is really difficult to take in. And, of course, there's plenty of reason to think that in 2023 we're going to have far more problems. A lot of those COVID giveaways have already worked themselves through the system. The energy price guarantees going to be far less generous come April. So a lot of that additional income that people either saved or got from the government is going to be spent and it's not coming again. And we also have to remember that real incomes um, are still taking a a hit because of inflation. Uh, People are feeling worse off. So there's plenty of reason, I I think, to hold back the optimism. But the fact that the UK didn't go into recession in 2022 does suggest um, that, you know, those worst fears that we had and the worst predictions probably won't come to fruition. James, what's the government going to make of the figures? The government has been trying to amplify these claims. And that's shown by, for instance, you know, Jeremy Hunter's own Twitter feed has been amplifying you know, the claim that the UK was the fastest growing economy in the G7 last year. This is something that CCHQ have made graphics about, for instance. But it's well worth pointing out, in, the UK is the only G7 country in which the economy remains smaller than it was before the pandemic. It's worth pointing out also that most people just don't feel as though you know, we're in a growing economy. I think well, we've got we're this, not. Well, we're yeah. not. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, we have got this economic model. It now seems where we avoid recession every month, every quarter, and that's sort of hailed as a success. Well, it's not. And I was talking to Frank Luntz last year. You know, pollster, friend of Boris Johnson. He was saying that people don't wait for a technical definition of a recession before they feel like they're in one. It feels more like it feels like a recession right now. I mean, you talked to them, it feels like a depression. And it, the problem is that. These kind of figures that we're seeing, it's reflective of a model where people are associating that with the political conditions, whereby you've had 13 years of the same government, they're saying, hang on a sec, you elect to clean up Labour's mess. There aren't the kind of concrete achievements where you can see it's measurably better, say, the 18 years of the Thatcher government. So I think these figures today, it's almost like they won't even make an impact. And I'm surprised by even today, the lack of impact they've had on the discourse. And it's because... They're almost irrelevance, I think, at this point, where it's a, you know, a couple of percentage points here and there, a technical definition. Remember, of course, the coalition parliament. There was a great play by Ed Balls and Ed Miliband about the definition of the UK's credit rating being downgraded. But even here now, it, I'm not sure it's going to have any kind of traction in Westminster or be something that 
Keir Starmer, for instance, chooses to lead off in PMQs last week, next week, because it's just something where people feel they're in recession, even though the figures show that we're not technically. I would also add that people need to be quite cautious in hailing this as a success because the December figures can be revised. So it is possible that next month we'll get an update that actually technically the UK is in recession because the figures were worse than uh, the than the Office for National Statistics immediately thought. Hopefully that isn't the case and there would have to be quite a big change there, I think, to, to see that. But it is always possible and figures get revised upwards, but they also get revised downwards all of the time. So um, there are plenty of reasons that forecasters today are still keeping an arm's length from optimism. No one's really out there looking at the data saying this is fantastic. But in in terms of that narrative of being in recession or out of recession, you know, as James points to, it's much better for the government to be able to say, we're not in a recession. And James, Labour has won the West Lancashire by-election. Ashley Dalton will replace Rosie Cooper, who stood down as the area's MP. What did you make of the result? I mean, it was exactly what we expected, you know, and the, I suppose, surprising, remarkable thing about it is how unsurprising it was. Uh, it's a cliche, but it shows that all the models point to a big Tory defeat next year and this was in about sort of 0.2 0.3 percent of most models predicting it uh, it was a campaign that really didn't register much i think it was about 33 percent turnout thereabouts and i think that it just really shows what all trends are predicting or perhaps which westminster is not factoring in enough is that however much you know rishi sunak or the tories talk about certain things or sort of pull certain levers it's pointing towards one way i mean i think one thing perhaps have noticed that the reform party got about four and a half percent in the polls that i think perhaps shows that there is a dysfunction on the right of the party previously in 2019 there was nowhere else for them to go now i think there's a kind of sort of pen for them to go to but it was sort of surprising how little coverage this election result received and how basically labor's by-election machine which over the past 10 years or so has been really allowed to become run down, has actually now recovered, and they're just be- winning these election results with actually no ripple in Westminster. And that's such a change from, you know, 18 months ago when the Tories were really going into these Red Wall areas and hoping to make gains, further gains than the Red Wall. It's completely reversed now. And Kate, finally, Nadine Dorries has said that she's going to step down as an MP. She announced it on Talk TV, saying that the sheer stupidity of removing Boris Johnson as Prime Minister led to her decision. There's now around, I think, 20 Tory MPs, I think, who have said they're not going to stand for re-election at the next election. What's your reaction? Well, a lot's happening in the Tory party, especially as certain MPs come to the realisation that their seats might be very hard to fight for um, when we have the next election and, you know, whenever that may be. Nadine Doris, however, might be a special case in the sense that I don't think her reasons for stepping down totally reflect the reasons for other MPs stepping down. Um, She has made very clear since Boris Johnson left the extent to which she thinks that was a huge mistake and also the issues that she's had with the following prime minister. She's been very loud on social media. She's taken up this new, um, you know, hot seat, uh, you know, in front of the cameras where it will become increasingly difficult to be able to take the party line and also deal with her own opinions on TV. So this, you know, I think once she decided to go into media, it was quite clear that there was eventually going to be a change or her arm was going to be twisted to make a decision one way or the other and this is how she wants to go out right she wants to go out on her narrative which is that the Tory party has made its biggest mistake in its electoral history by getting rid of Boris Johnson and she's seen that since day one and now she's deciding to leave but if we are to grab anything from her specific situation which as I said I don't think applies to every other Tory MP I think it's that the Tory party is in this very difficult spot where you have a lot 
of different perspectives that no longer gel. I mean, they're radically opposed to each other. You've got Tory MPs who want a million homes built yesterday. You've got Tory MPs who want to bulldoze over homes and think, you know, we don't have enough countryside. You, you have such differing views in the party. And what Boris Johnson, of course, did do is bring them all together on Brexit. And not every element of Brexit is done and dusted. Of course, we're dealing with the protocol again. But there aren't those uniting forces. Rishi Sunak will want to find areas where he can bring the party together. I suspect he thinks that the small boats crisis and immigration might be one of them. But that's going to take time to discover where those areas are and just to discover the public policy that can bring them together. You know, Nadine Doris is a very obvious reminder how much this party disagrees with each other now and that the internal conflict in some ways is far worse than the conflict is having with the Labour Party. Yeah, just to say, I mean, we've got um, 19 MPs uh, who had the elected Tory whip in 2019, 18 current Conservatives and Matt Hancock, who are now standing down. And what's interesting is how there's such an age disparity between them and the Labour MPs who are standing down. That's partly because of one exacerbating factor to do with the Labour Party, which is that um, a lot of MPs in 2017 and 2019 chose not to stand down, older MPs, because they didn't want Corbynistas to replace them in seats. Uh, we've perhaps seen with the Jared Amara case this week, there's perhaps a good reason for that. But I think the average age of a Labour MP standing down is now about 70, and a Tory MP standing down is about 53, 54 or thereabouts. And that's because, as I say, of that reason, but also because MPs now and their, you know, some in their 40s and 50s are standing down before what they see as a, a, an election defeat. Perhaps the more telling sign is Joe Gideon announcing also on the same day as Nancy Norris, she's standing down. Okay, she's 70, but also she was a first time MP elected in 2019. And I think there's a sense of, you know, her seat is stoke on Trent and that's definitely going to go red next time. And that's because a lot of Tory MPs are already thinking about sort of post-premiership life. Uh, MPs like Matt Hancock and Sajid Javid, who could expect perhaps to come back into the fold at some point, are not going to have that because they all think it's going to be a Labour government, which, as results like West Lancashire shows, now looks more likely than before. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kate. And thank you very much for listening. And if you want to hear more from the Coffee House Shots team, then why not come along to our Coffee House Live budget briefing event on the 15th of March? You can join the spectators Fraser Nelson, Katie Balls, Kate Andrews and a special guest as they analyse the budget just hours after it's announced. Doors will open at 6.30pm. To get tickets, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash budget.